0: others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses
1: Well hey there New City Church, my name is Nate Bush, good to be the pastor here, glad you are here today. Uh, One thing before we jump into the teaching today, uh, I want you to let you know next week we start a new series uh, called Emotional Intelligence. I'm really excited about this series, we've been working on it for several months. Uh, Basically we're looking at some of the emotions we've all been dealing with over the last you know, whatever year, I think some things have happened over the last year or so. Uh, We're looking at all the emotions that we've experienced over that period of time and we're going to be applying the text and saying here's how the scripture speaks to things like fear and anxiety. Uh, things like grief and sadness, and, and we'll be talking about what's going on in our heart and how does the Scripture speak to those things, and so I'm really excited about this series, uh, uh, and I think it's going to be helpful for you. We will be in um, Matthew 5 through 7 throughout this series, and so if you want to be reading along uh, in your own quiet time, that'd be a great place uh, to begin. All right, so I'm going to, as I start the teaching today, just age myself for a second. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question, and the question itself ages me. I don't know if you'll catch it right away or not, but what's your favorite album for focused work? Now, I said album, not playlist on Spotify. Uh, what's your favorite album for focus at work? Can you think of something? Like, do you go to uh, an album? Like, when you need focus? Anybody here, like, do you, I mean, are, are you, anybody, when, when you're focusing, it has to be absolutely quiet. Absolutely quiet. Okay, anybody here? Like, you gotta have some tunes on if you're gonna be focusing. All right, just wanna know who I'm talking to. All right, I gotta, I, I gotta have some tunes on when I'm focusing. When I, especially if I hit a rough spot, like in sermon preparation, for example, uh, I will uh, go to a couple of standards, a couple of standard albums. In fact, uh, I'll listen to them front to back. And I don't know if you remember those days. Uh, uh, maybe you don't. Maybe I'm too old. Um, but I remember the days of waiting for an album to drop, and I remember thinking, I can't wait to listen to the album from beginning to end. End, to see the story the artist wants to tell in that album. But I remember doing that. I mean, this, the album I'm going to reference here is way before my time. But one of the albums I have enjoyed listening to, in fact, I'll go to when I need time to focus, is A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. I will pull that album out and listen to it from front to back, 30 minutes. I mean, you get 30 minutes of clear focus from that album. And I, I love improvisational jazz. I love this particular album a lot because the story this album tells. But improvisational jazz is is like this weird kind of experience. You have all these disconnected sort of sounds coming together and being organized around a truth. And what you, you hear is these, is, a, is a truth sort of being sort of played out. And then all these disorganized sounds start sort of organizing around the truth. And, and John Coltrane has a couple of licks in this in this album. And each song, that's a truth that he's organizing this, the songs around. And you've got all this sort of disorganized things happening. And then you have this truth that's just sort of pulling everything in. And, and the music kind of revolves around that truth. And I think life is a lot like improvisational jazz. It's trying to organize disconnected notes around foundational truths. It's like I got this stuff going on around me, some things happening around me, and I'm trying to organize a little bit of my life around some truth. And I think all of us in life are trying to sort of find, how do I take these disconnected sort of sounds and bring them into some coherent song, some beautiful song, some, some, some song that really makes me move in some rhythm of life, I think listening to improvisational jazz, this may be too creative, too artsy for some of you, but I think listening to improvisational jazz is a lot like listening to the music of the original creation. When you, when you listen to Genesis 1, you, you hear that, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over it. It was just disconnected sounds. And then God said, let there be light. And then there was like this, this rhythm. truth and then everything started to sort of gather around the truth and God spoke and a truth a a word the word created everything and Jesus was a part of the creation he spoke that truth into the world that truth came into the world and everything began to get organized around that truth and I think everyone everyone is trying to make music with their lives everyone is none of us are unique in this Uh, we're all trying to find the truth to organize our song around and, and that's, that's a universal human experience. I mean, we're all sort of in this world going, okay, how do I make sense of myself? How do I make sense of the world that I'm in? How do I make, make sense of the life that I'm living? And I've got all these sort of seemingly disconnected sounds, but I'm trying to organize them around some kind of truth. So when John Coltrane wrote this, this album, when he wrote sort of these, these original licks of this, of this beautiful 30-minute album, It was after a season of disruption in his own life. This is a photo of Miles Davis and and John Coltrane. And John Coltrane is a saxophonist. And 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 what 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 was interesting about you know this their relationship is Miles Davis had to fire John Coltrane because he became totally unreliable because of his drug use. He had just become absolutely unreliable. And then he went searching. He went searching for a truth. And in the In the album cover, when you kind of open the album up, in the the cover, Coltrane writes, In the year of 1957, I experienced, by the grace of God, a spiritual awakening, which has led me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. I experienced an awakening, a truth. A truth that began. I began to organize my life around. In fact, a, a supreme love is the truth that Coltrane discovered. It's the truth that the album is organized around. He plays the notes that echo a love supreme in every single key, so that he can he can communicate to you through his music. He believes that love, God's love, is so pervasive that it's everywhere and in everything. And he's trying to sort of play out those ideas in his music. And so, the question I want you to sort of be asking yourself today is what truth is the song of your life being organized around like what what's 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 the truth that's setting the pace for your life song what, what 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 truth are, are, are you gravitating towards uh, one way to to see if you're making music or not just sitting right now in your life is there more noise than music or is there more music than noise sometimes like it just feels like we just got a lot of disconnected notes going on but there's no there's no music there's no song Everyone needs a truth that's greater than themselves. A truth that's so beautiful, it attracts our greatest affection. A truth that just goes, yep, that's it. That's the truth that my life is going to be organized around. That's the truth that's going to set the pace for the song that my life is going to sing. Like, that's the truth. So we need, in order for that to happen, we need a truth that is so true that our song bends to it in obedience. It's got to be so true that everything, every, everything in our life, every note in our life is going, yeah, I'm going to bend to that. I'm going to give in to that. And everything that, every, every note that you're playing in your life, the note that you're playing at work, and the note that you're playing in your marriage, the note that you're playing in your singleness, the note that you're playing in your ambitions, the notes that you're playing in your dreams, Like all those notes have to be organizing themselves around some truth that's bigger. Some truth that causes it to bend in. Some truth that's just more beautiful. That's why we read the Our Father today. Because the Our Father is more than a prayer. It's, it's, it's more than a, a, a familiar prayer in the Bible. The Our Father is a set of notes that our life's song can be organized around. It's, it's meant to be repeated it's meant to be repeated in such a way it becomes familiar because it's like kind of in jazz. There's like this repeated sort of truth, and it gets repeated, and it gets repeated, and it gets repeated, and Then suddenly all the other things, all the other notes, begin to sort of like, they begin to kind of curve into it. So Jesus says, you know, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. He says, This, this is the truth to organize that song around. So to pray our fathers, to pray, listen, with Jesus. To pray that our fathers, to pray with Jesus. He says, When you pray, pray like this, our. It just, it just struck me fresh this time when I read it. Jesus saying, Hey guys, when you pray this prayer, pray our. Not not yours, not you know, not to my father, not to your but to our father. And to pray our fathers to pray with Jesus as a fellow child. It's a reminder what happens in Romans 8:15. <coughs> For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You did not receive a spirit of slavery. You received a spirit that lets you cry out as a son or a daughter to your Father in heaven as a child cries. You know, it's just it's wild. But, but to pray to God as our Father is much more than a statement of intimacy. And that's usually where a sermon like this goes. And usually, so at some point, we, pray out, we play up this idea of Abba, and this is how a child speaks to a father. And, and I was trying to you know, just sort of look at this, this text afresh, and I picked up a, a book I hadn't read before, and it was N.T. Wright's book, The Lord and His Prayer. N.T. Wright says, Plenty of people called God Father in Judaism and elsewhere. The Abba is, in fact, a word with much wider use than simply on the lips of little children. He says, Maybe we've overplayed that a little bit. Maybe when we're saying our father, we're saying something a little bit more profound even than just saying that we can relate to God as a child relates to a father. You see, the first time in the Bible God is referred to as a father was in reference to the redemption of Israel from slavery. And when God gives Moses his marching orders, he goes into Pharaoh. And when he's asking Pharaoh to give God's peoples in slavery, he's saying, I'm going to ask you to go into Pharaoh and demand the release of the slaves. Well, this is how it goes. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. God says, Moses, those people aren't slaves, those people are my children. Those people aren't slaves, they're my, they're my heirs. And to pray to God as our fathers to confess, I'm not a slave who belongs to a master, I'm a child who belongs to a father. That's the, that's the confession. You're saying, I, I, I'm not a slave. I'm a child, and I, and I belong to him. To, to pray, our fathers to pray into being our new identity. And the Bible has to remind us continually that this is our new identity. A shaping principle. When we, when we pray our Father, we're saying, I, I have a whole brand new identity. You are no longer a slave, Paul says in Galatians 4.7. That's not what you are anymore. You were a slave to sin and death, but you're not anymore. If you, by the way, if you don't believe that you're a slave to sin, just try to stop doing it. You'll realize pretty quickly that sin is a power in the world. and It's a power that you are powerless to overcome. And Christ lived the life that you could not live. He lived, not yielding to that power. He overcame the power of sin. And in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he overcame the power of death. And so he's he's unlocked the prison of sin and death. He's overcome it. And so you're no longer a slave if you're in Christ. But what are you? A son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, it's important sometimes to note that why son and why connecting son to heir? Because you know, later Paul says there's no male or female. What's he saying here? He's saying we're all heirs equally. Men and women, co-heirs in Christ. Children, daughters and sons, heirs equally with Jesus, our older brother. That's the teaching of the scripture. <laughs> so to pray our fathers, to declare our liberty. When you bow your head and you say, Father in heaven, you're declaring your liberty you're not a slave to sin anymore you're a free child there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus like when you when you are praying our father you're saying the law of the spirit of life has set you free in christ jesus from the law of sin and death that's what you're praying like i'm free Sin and death were the thing I was enslaved to, but I'm not enslaved to that anymore because my father's rescued me, just like he did in the Exodus when he showed up and he said, these slaves in Egypt, they're my children. And I demand their release. And Jesus showed up and he said, these slaves to sin are God's children, and I demand their release. And he he secures it. You see, our liberty is made possible by Jesus' obedience to the Father. And this is something that just really strikes me. To pray our Father along with Jesus is to pray our Father like Jesus prayed our Father. And when Jesus prays our Father, he says, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but yours will be done. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, looking at the cross, looking at, at, at the, the price of redemption, the price of buying slaves from their slavery, when he's looking at the cost of redeeming you and rescuing you and bringing you into the family of God, he says, if at all possible, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He submits in his prayer. And Jesus in his submission and his prayer, his obedience, it, well, it secures our liberty. What does Jesus do, by the way, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands? He set aside, nailing it to the cross. What did he do? He, he went to the cross and he took all the things that you have failed to do in your life and he took them to the cross and he took care of them. The things that stress you out and make you anxious, the things that make you feel like you're not exactly making the music you want to make in this world. He said, I'll take all that noise you've done because of sin in your life and I'm going to nail it to the cross and I'm going to write a new song in you. Amen. And that's what he that's what He does. See, you're captive, by the way, not just the sin of death, but you're, you're, you're captive to whatever you have built your identity around. And Jesus is freeing your identity. And I just, I just I don't know who this is for, and so I just feel, I felt like the Lord was like, hey, you should say this, and so I'm just going to say this. Perhaps the reason you are so tired and or anxious, because you could be both tired and anxious, is because your mind is desperately searching for an identity that will make you feel worthy. And maybe the reason right now you came in today just so beat down and worn out is because you've been looking for somebody to say, you're worthy. And you're thinking, if I could put the right identity to the world, the world would then come back to me and say, I'm worthy. I'm just looking for somebody to say I'm worthy. And I want you to know that Christ has made it so that you're worthy. But in... Here, here's, the, here's the thing that I'm trying to sort of wrestle through. I'll just wrestle with, this. I'm going to do some jazz right now. I'm just going to do some improvisational jazz. The Our Father, like the inclusiveness of that statement, Our Father has really struck me this week. That we pray that in community. Because it seems as though as people are building their identities, like that the people are beginning to sort of, buy into some sort of cultural I, I, sort of idea about identity that the, the, the more individualistic and the more different your identity is, the better it is? And, and in, in a modern society, it seems like people are looking for significance and worth in their individuality and their difference. And, and it seems like people are saying, man, the more different you are and the more individual you are, the better you are. But... <laughs> But what if you were made not for individual difference, but for collective belonging? What if like this addiction to sort of finding my difference and my distinction for the rest of the world and, and trying to become radically individual is violating the very nature of who you are? What if it's true that God said it's not ma- good for man to be alone? What if it's true that you were made for community and connectedness? You are made for an Our Father experience. You are made to belong to a family of people who who love you and whom you love and that you have things in common with, like your children, your siblings. What would it sound like if all of our instruments were organized around the singular and beautiful truth that we are together, beloved children of a Father whose love is supreme? What would it sound like if instead of trying to find our identity and all of our distinction, and all the things that try to trying to set ourselves apart from everybody else. What if, what if we found our identity and our sameness as children, as beloved children? To, see, to pray our Father is to accept that we belong to a family. It's, it's, it's accept that we, we belong. And so we pray that collectively. We say out loud, our Father in heaven. We're saying, hey, we belong with Jesus to the Father. Together we belong. And I'm just gonna, I'm, I, you know, maybe if I step on a toe here, I'm aiming for a heart. Okay, so here's the deal: like a real problem of modern humanity is not that we have failed to see our differences, is that we've failed to see our sameness. We've we failed to see our not only our common humanity, but even as brothers and sisters, our, our our common father. And by the way, the parable of the prodigal son shows us that every lost child God sees as a lost child. And the Father wants his children to come home. You see, to pray our Father is a a, a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer of of community. It's a beautiful prayer of liberation. But it's also a prayer of submission. Uh, To pray our Father is to submit our life song to a true and better authority. To say there is something out there Someone, actually, out there who's setting the tone, who's playing the rhythm, for whom our song is to be organized around, and so we pray along with Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray with him, God, make it so, like write the song. And slaves feel the need, right, to rise up. They feel the need to rise up against their oppression. Uh, but but we are we're children. We have a father who's come down. And what we're praying is, if hey, Father, your your will be done on earth as in heaven. Bring heaven to earth, because that's what happens always in the Bible. It's always God who descends, never man who ascends. It's always that way in the Bible. And the story of the Bible is not the story of humanity rising from the chaos. It's the story of a God who comes down into the chaos. It's not the story of, a God, it's not the story of, of humanity rising from their brokenness. It's about the story of a God who comes down into the brokenness. It's not a story of, of humanity rising from the ashes. It's God coming down into the ashes saying, guys, I'm going to make it okay. I'm going to make everything all right. See, when we pray, our Father, your kingdom come on earth, we are asking God to come down and right the wrongs, to bring justice, to set order, to make music, because what happened at the fall is that the beautiful music of creation became disrupted, and, and the rhythm started to fall apart, and the music started to become, you know, just, and things just started to, to not, you know, sound okay. It started not feel okay. We started to do things that were not okay, and what we're asking is we're asking for God to write his beautiful song into the world of disconnected notes, to to recreate it all. So when we ask for God's will on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking for the noise caused by sin to become a song submitted to the will of the Father. And maybe there's a place in your life right now you just need to be honest with yourself, maybe honest with somebody else. There's a place in your life right now where you've kind of let a sin go unchecked. And it, it needs to be brought into submission. Mm-hmm. You need to repent. Say, so I'm going to turn from that. There's a more beautiful truth. There's a more beautiful song. And, I, and I, need, I, need, I need to turn into that, right? So to pray for the collision of heaven and earth is to pray for rightness to be experienced personally, but also is to pray for it universally. Like we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth it is in heaven. We're praying for that. Yet yeah, personally, we're saying, we're praying along with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Personally, we're saying, Jesus, I will pray with you, not my will, but yours be done. Like, I'm going to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life right now as it is in heaven. In other words, I'm going to submit my will to yours. I'm going to submit my desire to yours. Father, it's your desire that's perfect, not mine. And then we're going to pray with Jesus, make all things new, universally. Jesus, come do it. Do your renewal thing. Make it new. Make it right. You see, to pray our Father on earth as is in heaven is not to confess our sufficiency. It's a, it's a confession of our communal dependency. It's to say together, our Father who art in heaven, and your name is holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven, because we can't do it. We can't do it. I can't bring the renewal to my life. I can't bring the renewal to my marriage. I can't bring the renewal to my parenting. I can't bring the renewal to my singleness. I can't bring the renewal to my workplace. I can't bring, I just can't do it. I need your kingdom to come. Your will be done. I need you to bring your peace to the earth. I need you to do it because I can't do it. It's a, it's a prayer communally of our dependency upon God and his kingdom. So to pray for our daily bread, listen, it's not just about praying for provisions. It's about trusting God. So we're, we're we're leaning into the Our Father here we're going, okay, Our Father, heart in heaven, holy is Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. What is that all about? Well, <laughs> when Israel's hungry, God provided daily bread. He provided manna from heaven, and Moses said it was never about the bread; it was always about the trust. And when you look at Moses looking back on that time when people are wandering in the wilderness and they're going, God, are you going to feed us? Or are you going to give us something to drink? And they're grumbling and they're complaining and God gave them bread. Moses said, God gave you this bread to humble you. So that you would know that man doesn't live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It was about trusting. So when Jesus was hungry and tempted by Satan, he replied, my food is God's word. When, when Satan comes and says, Turn the stone into bread, when he was fasting in the wilderness, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how man lives. I live in my nourishment is trust. My sustenance is believing that God is a God who provides. So to pray for our daily bread is more about submitting than it is about requesting. And so you're going to God, and you're saying, "My God, Father in heaven, and your name is holy, your kingdom come in. Do your will right here in my life, in this city, right now, do it. Do your will in my workplace. I trust you. I trust you with the daily bread. I just believe. Sometimes I think we get right to the daily bread and we're like, hey, I want this and I want that and I want this and, you know, I don't know about you, I'm a list maker, so I, I've got, I got prayer lists. I've got lists of things I want to happen and sometimes we just need to be reminded we must not let ge- greed get in the way of grace. Amen. And every once in a while, I, I have to stand before the throne of God in my prayer life and go, you know what, I don't want to start with my list, I just want to start with my trust. Mm-hmm. Do I trust you? happens when God continually in your life, like he has in mine, shown up in grace? I, mean, I, I hmm, Okay, I'll say it this way. You know, I'm i I'm, I'm not I'm not that old, okay. I'm not that old. But I'm old enough. I'm old enough to have some, some runway with God. And I'm old enough to have had seasons of distrust. And I've had to repent and go, God, you were faithful, even though I didn't think you would, you would be. And I've had seasons where I've wondered, are you going to provide my daily bread? And I look back and I go, man, he's just always faithful. Always faithful. And when God gives you that kind of grace, the grace of like living with Him for some time and learning to trust Him, I mean that spills over in your relationships and the way that you relate to other people. It, it spills over into how you forgive. To pray for the grace of forgiveness is to pray for the grace to give forgiveness. Because you can't receive forgiveness without also having the grace to give it and you go our father in heaven you've redeemed us from slavery to sin like you you rescued us your kingdom come your will be done right now here and now as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors like help us to be a forgiving people because we are a forgiven people and you cannot receive the grace to forgive, and you cannot receive the grace to forgive, and refused to give the grace of forgiveness. NT Wright says instead of genuinely forgive, instead of genuine forgiveness, our generation has been taught the vague notion of tolerance, that is, at best, a low grade parody of forgiveness; at worst, it's a way of sweeping the real issues in human life under the carpet. Forgiveness is richer and higher and harder and more shocking than we usually think. Jesus' message offers the genuine article and insists that we should accept no man-made substitutes. To be forgiven means the debt is paid. He canceled the written record of debt that stood against us like he did that and nailed it to the cross. There's no longer any penalty to pay. Like you don't have to stress out trying to, you know, overcome your past. Like Christ has already overcome your past. But it doesn't mean there is no longer a wound. Forgiveness doesn't mean there, isn't, there aren't wounds. We are healed by Jesus' wounds. struck me this week, like in the resurrection, you know, in Christ's resurrected body, we still see His wounds. He forgave us and he brought us healing by his wounds. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live, <laughs> and live to righteousness by his wounds. We received our healing like his wounds are there. When you see him in the resurrection to come, you'll see him and his wounds. Your forgiveness came by his wounds. And in some ways that helps me because I know what I've done in my life and I know what needs to be forgiven and sometimes I just need to know that the debt's been paid and the gruesomeness of the cross sometimes it's necessary for me to know that my debt has been paid like it's been paid and he rose with the wounds so when we forgive we we are not downplaying the wounds the wounds of Jesus they guarantee our forgiveness the wounds are there but we are, we are as a forgiven people, offering the forgiveness we've received. By saying the debt, the debt no longer needs to be paid. My wounds are proof of that. The debt's been paid. To pray, deliver us from evil, is to pray for the end of everything that is causing our wounds. So we pray, our Father in heaven. Your name is holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. We, we need to be forgiving other people the way you've forgiven us. And we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the absence of evil is the, is, the, is the absence of temptation in the presence of peace. And I'm reminded in Romans 16.20 the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. I think peace is the experience of the recreation. is experiencing it. Like when you're experiencing peace, you're hearing the song. One of my favorite scenes in the Narnia book is the scene of creation. And creation happens with a song. It's God, you know, when God's doing his recreation work, he's He's taking all these misplaced notes and he's bringing order to them. Peace peace is experiencing in the recreation. It's it's God taking away all the disjointed noise of life and weaving together a new song, a new beautiful song, a new beautiful song into our life. That's why we need repeatable notes to tune our lives song to. We need to know where to go. Where are the repeatable notes? Where where do we go when when things are... You're our fathers that way for us. You know, catechisms, confessions, liturgies are not just about teaching Christian truth. They're about about helping us to to, to identify the noise and to find the beauty. It's about, to, to use another phrase, about inoculating us to falsehood. It's about helping us to identify what's true in the world. Uh, I was listening to a podcast recently by Tim Keller, and he was talking about the catechisms of, of our past. And he said, you know, a lot of the, you know, the Heidelberg Catechism, where you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, you get two or three questions about the Trinity, you have six or seven questions about uh, salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And, and he said, you know, what, what, what we're still what we're doing in our confessions, what we're doing in our catechisms is we're, we're still inoculating people to Catholicism. We're, we're still trying to correct the errors of, of salvation by works. And, and vaccines, they, they inoculate us to disease, but Christian disciplines, they inoculate us to falsehood. And he said, I think we, we, we need another, another catechism. He says, we're still inoculating people to Catholicism. We need a new catechism, and we need to start inoculating people to this disease that their identity <laughs> can be built on something other than God. There, there's I think a diseased idea out there that, that, you know, you don't have a true identity unless it's very distinct, unless it's super individual, unless you can point to the things that are unique about you. And then the our father shows up and says, you know what, there's something beautiful about each one of us is that God created you. And God, as a father, sees you as a child, whether it be a lost child or a found child, he sees you as a child. And he wants you to come home. And he wants you to be a part of the family. And that you belong. That's the message. You belong. So we're going to be doing some things the next few weeks just in our services uh, to try to, to, to freshen things up a, a little bit. So this is our, our last week of our pandemic liturgy. <laughs> so we developed a new liturgy during the pandemic when we went online. And uh, so we, we had, you know, video-based uh, announcements and uh, two songs and a teaching, video-based announcements, two songs uh, to follow the teaching. And that's kind of the, the pandemic liturgy. Uh, but we're adding some things to our service because we need some repeatable tunes. We need a tuning fork. And so for the next sort of season, we're adding a song to our worship set on Sundays. We're going to add a call to worship, a conf- time of confession and assurance, a benediction to, to send the church out on a mission to our weekly gatherings. We'll be adding those because we're, gonna, and we're just trying to, trying to sound the right tune that we can all sort of set our song to. Because we are, at the end of the day, at New City, a family sent on mission. We are a family sent on mission by our Father to be good news and start good news conversations all over the city. And when we pray Our Father, we're praying the Our Father with Jesus. We're praying it as Jesus would pray it. He says, I want you to pray with me here, Our Father. And when we pray it, we, we have to hear all the notes that Jesus hears. And when John 20, 21, Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And so Jesus says to Our Father, he's, he's saying to a Father who sent him. And we're praying to a Father, we're praying to a Father who sends us. And we're, we're, we're praying to a Father who says, Yeah, Go. And so last Sunday, I wasn't here because I was up at North Church. And so uh, North Church had their very last Sunday as North Church. Uh, Last Sunday, I got to stand on stage with Pastor Ryan and put my hand on his shoulder and pray for him. He gave a wonderful message. And Joshua, this week, today, they're meeting at city and a hill, the Lobo Theater. And the church, the building, I should say, I almost misspoke significantly. The building that church met in uh, is the building that we purchased last summer. During the middle of the pandemic, uh, which was one of the seasons, by the way, where I was going, I don't know, God, can I trust you with my daily bread? <laughs> right? I mean, I really, seriously had those moments. And this past week, we got some of our ministry champions together in the in the auditorium of that space. And, and we prayed over the space, and began to sort of vision what God would have us to do for it. And so if you drive by the space today, you'll see on the sign just says future home of New City Church. And that's where God is going to be putting us next. And it's just a building that our church gathers in, but also be a building that our church is sent from every single week. And it's going to be a place where we come week after week to get our to get our our tuning fork out and go, okay, what is it? What truth is my life song need to be? What, what truth is my life song need to be organizing around? And if you've been around New City for a little bit hopefully you've realized that we try to stick to a text and we try to teach the Bible and we believe that the word of God is powerful, sharper than any t- double-edged sword. It's, it's, it's unbreakable. And so when we confess the word of God together, we're, we're, saying, we're saying truths that are true. Truths that we organize our life around. And so I'm going to read, pray then like this, and I'd love for you to stand and let's just together pray the our father okay and why don't, you band, why don't you guys come go on come on up too all right pray then like this our father in heaven all right we're going to start over cuz that was kind of weak sauce all right so i'm going to say pray then like this and then all together in community as family all right sorry to call you weak sauce it's probably not the all right yeah all right you guys all right let's do let's, let's do let's do this all right we got this okay Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, I pray you'd hear our voice today. You are good and you have delivered us. You have rescued us. We pray your kingdom come right now. Your will be done right now in this place is in heaven. Help us to trust you with our daily bread. If there's any anxiety in the room right now, any worry right now about whether you're trustworthy or true, would you speak to the power of your Holy Spirit and just say, yeah, we can trust you. Would you help us to know that? Would you help us to know that we can trust you, Father? Would you, If there's any lost son or lost daughter in the room, Father, would you, would you just call them to yourself? Would you let them know that they belong to you? They don't have to find some distinct identity out there in the world, but they can just belong. Uh, father, I pray you just help settle the soul. Just just call a child home. Thank you for running after that prodigal son and that story. Thank you for that story, Jesus, of the father running. Because I know, Father, that you ran after us. You came after us in the garden. You've been coming after us, your son Jesus. You keep coming after us. And so somebody here you've been chasing, and I pray, Father, you'd let them see. Let them see you. Thank you for the opportunity to to write beautiful music with our lives. Thank you for being the truth that we organize our life around. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray.